Today's reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, beginning at verse 1, going through to verse 11. It should be on the back of your order of service. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you, firm hold, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. Thanks very much. It's very good to be back with you again. If we haven't met, I'm Robin Weeks. I'm the vicar of Emmanuel Church in Wimbledon, uh, a Church of England church in the Diocese of Southwark. I wonder if you have a banana skin spirituality. Let me explain. Uh, I love bananas. I don't know about you, but I love bananas. But of course, I only love the bit on the inside. Uh, Banana skins aren't nice. That's why we tend to throw them away. And some people have the same idea when it comes to our bodies and our souls. Um, It's our souls, it's the bit on the inside that really matters, and the body, well, that's really unimportant. They end up buried or cremated, thrown away like a banana skin. Some people, of course, have the opposite problem. They're only interested in their bodies, and they have no time at all for their soul. Well, the Christians that Paul's writing to here in 1 Corinthians definitely had a banana skin spirituality. That is, they had a low view of the body and a high view of the soul, and they thought that God was only interested in our souls. And that's why the Apostle Paul has to write to correct them. Chapter 15 is perhaps the fullest chapter in the Bible about the resurrection of the body. But of course, the resurrection of Christians begins with the resurrection of Christ. And that's why, as Paul reminds them of the gospel here in verses 1 to 11, he shows how the physical resurrection of Jesus is so central to the Christian good news. His resurrection isn't simply a happy ending to a sad story. It's not an add-on to the gospel. No, it's an integral part of it. We began to see last week why Jesus is best. We saw in verse 3 that he's best 
because he died for us. We've just sung about it in the words of our first hymn, that on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. What fantastic news. But the good news doesn't end there. Not only did Jesus die for us, he also lives for us. So look with me at verse 4, which is the, the one verse we're going to focus on today. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Christians don't worship a dead saviour, but a living one. And what we're going to do is to look very briefly at each of the four component parts of verse 4. Christ was buried, Christ was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. First then, Christ was buried. Now at one level that is just a fact of history. His burial in a grave belonging to Joseph of Arimathea was confirmation that Jesus really did die. It it kicks into touch any idea that Jesus maybe just swooned on the cross or was unconscious for a while, which of course would mean he didn't rise from the dead, he just kind of um, resuscitated. It's interesting, isn't it, that if God's strategy for the forgiveness of sins is the death of his son, there have always been some who've wanted to deny that he really died. But he did really die. That's why he was buried for three days. But that, of course, is not just a fact. It's also theology. Paul wants us to know that Jesus tasted the bitterness of death in every sense of the word. He wants to drive home to us that Jesus experienced the fullness of death, the totality of what it means to die. You see, by being in a tomb for three days, Jesus was very publicly under the realm of death. Now, why does that matter? Well, it shows us that Jesus knows what it is to die. He experienced what one day we all will experience, which is the separation of our body and our soul at the point of death. And as we do, and as we see others experiencing death, we can take great comfort from the fact that Jesus knows what it's like to die. Later on in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, it puts it like this. Now, since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. I meet many people who fear death, maybe their own, maybe somebody else's. And the great news is that if you trust in Jesus, you don't have to. Because Jesus was buried. He knows what it's like to die. He shares in our humanity. He shares in our mortality. But of course the good news doesn't end there. Uh, For Jesus that cave belonging to Joseph of Arimathea was not so much a tomb 
but a womb. Not so much a grave, but a cradle, a chrysalis from which new life burst forth. And that brings us to the second part of verse 4. Christ was raised. I'm keen to read uh, Cecilia Watson's new book on the semicolon. Who would have thought you could write an entire book on one punctuation mark? I'm intrigued to see what she's got to say. Well, in verse 4, I want to show you the importance, not of semicolons, but of of a verb. You see, the verb there, raised, in verse 4, is in the passive voice. Christ was raised. That is, he didn't rise himself. Jesus doesn't just decide after three days that he'd had enough in the tomb and he'd kind of get up and walk out. No, God the Father raised God the Son by the power of God the Spirit. The entire Trinity at work in this eternity transforming event. And that verb raised there in verse 4, it's not only in the passive voice, it's in the perfect tense. And that means it's a permanent thing. Christ was raised never to die again. If you read the New Testament, you'll see that um, other people are raised from the dead. Uh, People like um, Lazarus or Jairus' daughter, uh, Dorcas, Eutychus. He was the bloke who fell out the window when Paul was preaching too long. Don't worry, I won't uh, emulate Paul. But all those people were raised only to die again. But not Jesus. He was raised never to die again. Which means that today he continues to be the risen Lord. So Paul insists here what the rest of the Bible insists, that Jesus' resurrection was bodily, was physical. It wasn't just some sort of vague spiritual idea. It was real. It was bodily. It's 35 years now since the terrible fire which destroyed much of York Minster. Perhaps you remember it. And the fire took place only two days after the consecration of David Jenkins as Bishop of Durham in that beautiful building. Some saw it as an expression of God's displeasure at the consecration of a bishop who, when asked about the resurrection of Jesus, said, Was it literally physical? After all, a conjuring trick with bones only proves that somebody's clever at a conjuring trick with bones. Not long after that event, I was confirmed as a schoolboy by the Bishop of Edinburgh. When asked later on in an interview if he thought that the Christian story is true, he said, it's true in the sense that myth is true. I don't think it's historically true. I don't think Jesus got out of the tomb. Well, Paul wants us to know that with due respect, the former bishops of Durham and Edinburgh aren't right that the resurrection of Jesus was literally physical. Now, it may well be you've got questions about that. I'd love to chat to you afterwards and look at the evidence for the resurrection. And when we discover that Christ really did rise from the dead, we see it is such good news. Because his resurrection guarantees the resurrection of all who trust in him. That's what Paul goes on to say. 
in the rest of chapter 15. He describes Christ as the first fruits. That is the first of many people being raised. His was the first permanent resurrection. But it's not the last. Because one day, his raised body will be joined by our raised body. And that has such good news for us now. Um, Think of it like this. Imagine that you fall into a river and the river is deep and it's fast flowing and you're kind of struggling to kind of stay afloat. Well, as long as your head is above the water, you're okay, aren't you? You might be flapping around beneath the water, but as long as your head's above, you're okay. And the same holds true for those who are Christians. Our head, Jesus, is risen from the depths of dead. His his head is above the water. And even as we're tossed around in the currents of life, struggling, flapping about, with Christ, our head above the water, we're okay. Christ was buried. Christ was raised. Then thirdly, notice verse 4. This happened on the third day. Well, why, why the third day? Well, for one thing, that was long enough to prove that he was really dead. Not three hours, not six hours, but three days. It was long enough to show that he was publicly under the realm of death. But more than that, it was to fulfil what Jesus himself had said. One time in Matthew 12, he, he drew parallels with what happened to the prophet Jonah in the Old Testament. He said, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man, that's Jesus, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So three days, it fulfills the words of Jesus. And that brings us to the last thing to notice from verse 4. That Christ being buried and raised on the third day was according to the scriptures. Do you see that at the end of verse 4? According to the scriptures. Actually, that's a phrase of such huge importance. It finds its way into the Nicene Creed. I wonder if you, uh, you're familiar with that. We say, on the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. But, but which scriptures? Well, I think scriptures like Psalm 16. You can read it later. It, it promises that God wouldn't let his Holy One see decay. Scriptures like Jonah. We've just touched on that. Talks about three days and three nights. Scriptures like Hosea, chapter 6, verse 2. After two days, God will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up. Do you see then how the Bible so beautifully fits together? This resurrection of Jesus, it didn't come out of nowhere. No, it had been promised and patterned in the Old Testament. So have confidence in the Bible. And verse 4, specifically have confidence in Jesus' resurrection. We haven't time to look at verses 5 onwards, which show us there are plenty more reasons to have confidence in the resurrection. Not least the multiple appearances of the risen Christ. But here's the reason that Paul wants us in verse 4 to have confidence in the resurrection. 
the witness of Scripture. God the Father raised God the Son from the dead by the power of God the Spirit, just as he promised in the Old Testament, so that when it happened, we would be sure of it. I wonder if you're uh, aware of the Richard III Society, uh, founded in the summer of 1924 by a Liverpool surgeon. The Richard III Society is motivated by the belief that history has not dealt kindly with the king's posthumous reputation. They want to try and promote a more balanced view. Uh, No doubt they were helped back in 2012 when the remains of Richard III were remarkably discovered under a car park in Leicester. Now I imagine that that discovery probably did a great deal for the Richard III Society. Perhaps it led to some new members uh, joining and getting an interest in this last Plantagenet king. Now, if you're a member of the society, uh, forgive me, and forgive me for stating the obvious, but the discovery of his bones is only further confirmation that he's really dead, that they follow a dead king. And I think that's sometimes how people view us Christians. Oh, it's fine for you to be interested in in, in King Jesus, just as it's fine for people to be interested in King Richard. If you like that kind of history stuff, it's kind of in the past, it's not really relevant, but if that's your thing, go for it. But I'd love to see from verse 4 that Christians follow and love a risen king, a living Lord, a saviour who died for us and a saviour who now lives for us. And that resurrection puts him in a totally different league from Richard III or anyone else who has ever lived or who will ever live. So as we finish, I'd love you to believe with me what the Bible clearly teaches and which Christians have believed for 2,000 years that Christ was buried, that he was raised physically, bodily, literally on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that that changes everything everything for the future and everything for now